The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Just a few verses from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. I'm going to read from chapter 1. You needn't turn there. Uh, Just listen. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That text I want to use this morning as a bit of a summary, really, of the message of Christmas. I call today the cradle, the grave, and the glory. Because what I want to say this morning is that we can't really understand the Christmas message We can't understand what we've really seen this morning. We can't really understand what was read to us uh, just at the end there unless we understand the full orb person of Christ, his grave and his glory, as well as his cradle. I don't know about you, but what I've noticed increasingly in these past few days as uh, the Christmas uh, festivities are building up in the media and in our neighborhood is that Christmas is very much seen, and I've noticed it particularly as I've been watching the children's programs with my daughter. All the talk is of the holidays, the holiday season, the winter festival. All the talk is this sort of generic time of festivity and celebration, and people are putting the lights on their houses, and the snow is falling, it's pleasant. And people are talking about common era rather than anno domini, the year of our Lord. And there's all this clamor and there's all all this confusion. It's amazing to me that at this time when people are in such a festive mood, or at least they're supposed to be, they think they're supposed to be, that they derive almost no benefit from the Christmas period. At least this has been true in my experience. We're confronted at Christmas time, sorry to depress you with bad news, with this paradox of festivity and feasting and gift-giving and lights going on people's homes. And, of course, there's a competition where I live to see which house can be the best decorated with what will happen at the beginning of the year, which is rising suicide rates. In fact, the highest period of suicide is just after Christmas in the new year, every year. I was last year shoveling snow off my sidewalk, just before Christmas, I think there was a period when we had a dump of snow and then it melted away. And I remember I was shoveling the road, I was shoveling the drive, something that was fairly new to me for my first winter in Canada. You don't really have to shovel snow in the UK. Um, it melts all of it by itself, if you ever see any. So I was shoveling the snow this morning and a passerby stopped to talk to me. I'd never seen him before. We started to chat and he started to tell me about his family. He started to talk to me about... Uh, what he would be uh, doing for Christmas. He started to, in fact, tell me that his marriage had broken down. I've never met him before. Amazing how some people open up to you in this kind of way. His marriage had failed. 
He had a number of grandchildren. I asked him about his children. And I asked him about his grandchildren. He told me that he had several. So I said to him, well, you're going to have a very busy Christmas then, aren't you, this year, with all of that going on? He said, no. He said, it was a messy breakup, and the family blames me. I won't be seeing any of them this Christmas. They don't want to know me. You see, just like we've seen in our sketch this morning, despite our constant exposure to sentimental songs and all the sort of festivity and cheer and so forth, and uh, children's programs full of this sort of generic holiday time that fills our airwaves, actually what Christmas can often do for people is just highlight their loneliness, their misery, their sadness, the brokenness in their families, the brokenness in their relationships, memories of either sad or happy past Christmases. It's a time when actually all the things as well that are so difficult about people's lives are highlighted. Are we just trying to gloss over those things? Often people are. They're just trying to uh, escape just for a brief period away from all the misery that they experience and yet at the same time sometimes for some people like this man Christmas itself highlights those difficult times in our lives. And then of course the birth of this baby, the birth of Jesus, the relevance of it, the power of it seems completely remote totally impenetrable for these kinds of people. There's a lot of confusion that surrounds us then at Christmas. Now, I'm going to be very candid and say that for the first few minutes of this message, you're not going to be very cheerful, okay? We will get to the cheery stuff later. But let's focus on the reality for a minute. Let's look at the realities of Christmas, which in many respects is what our sketch has done this morning. Why are people so confused in our culture? Well, I think the author of Hebrews helps us with that this morning in the passage that I've read. People actually fail. The reason they fail to understand Christmas is that they fail to connect the cradle of Christ, these swaddling bands, with his death and with his resurrection. And therefore, they fail to connect the true nature, the true glory of Christ, with his cradle. They don't see these things as linked. You see, the cradle without the empty tomb of Christ is a total farce. I say that to you as a Christian and as somebody who spends my time, one's time defending the Christian faith. The Apostle Paul is categorical about this in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm sure you've read it where Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In order to properly understand the cradle, we must first comprehend then the meaning of the empty tomb. And in order to understand the empty tomb, we have to understand the cross. And to understand the cross, we need to understand the true nature of the Christ who hung at the cross. Think about this for a moment. Mary herself, who held Jesus, who had these wise men bring gifts on the, on, uh, uh, shortly after the time of his birth who had shepherds come and worship him, who treasured, the Bible says, these things in her heart, did not fully understand who her son was, who this Jesus was. The disciples likewise did not really understand the true identity of Christ until when in the New Testament? Until after the resurrection. Oh, they had hints of it. They suspected things. They thought that this man was totally unique. 
but they didn't really understand who he was, which is exactly why they were all so miserable after the crucifixion of Christ. After the death of Christ, on the road to Emmaus, you recall. He said, we thought this man was going to redeem Israel. We thought that he was the saviour of Israel, but he's been crucified. They were going back and hiding in their, their rooms or uh, returning to fishing. But the writer of Hebrews tells us here, that Christ is the one through whom God the Father created the world. What does it say? He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That is the glory of Christ. That is the identity of Christ. And that's something of the glory that Paul tells us in Philippians 2, that he laid aside when he became a human being. You see, this book, the Bible, is a unity. It's a unity in that it has one message, and it tells us, the true story of history in its pages. It tells us about God's activity in history on human beings' behalf. And so you cannot possibly understand the impact or the import of the cradle without putting it in the context of Scripture. And what people do at Christmas is they think we can extract this nice little romantic children's story from its pages. And we can take out this little bit of romance and we can have a bit of goodwill and peace to men. And we can pretend all is well. And we think we live in a delusion if we believe then that we can actually understand the Christmas story in isolation from the rest of the scripture. You see, that's what people want in our culture. They want to retain a holiday. They want to retain a bit of festivity. But they don't want the Christ of scripture. They want a Christ of their own imagination. This is the root of the modern Christmas confusion. I was reading an article in, in Maclean's magazine, it was again last year. I do it for research, not for pleasure, I must say. Uh, it, the title of the article I read was, talk, was called The Truth About Christmas. So I thought this would be interesting. The Truth About Christmas, according to Maclean's magazine. So I had a read of this article. And of course, The Truth About Christmas was the last thing I found in there, but I did find some interesting things. I heard about the history of the trimmings of Christmas. I heard about the origin of the Christmas tree, how uh, Prince Albert introduced it to the British Empire. And I heard, actually, an interesting analysis of the confusion of modern Canadians about Christmas. She talked even about this journalist, about the embarrassment that was felt celebrating Christmas, knowing that the vast majority of Canadians knew absolutely nothing about it. Most adults, she tells us, are utterly ignorant of why they are putting lights on the house. And so it's no surprise why this journalist's daughter asked her this question. If Santa is not Jesus' uncle, then what exactly is his connection to Jesus' birthday celebration? Now this is the kind of questions, of course, that children are going to ask with the confusion that there is in our culture. This confusion is not surprising when you read comments like this. That uh, the article was written by a lady called Patricia Person. This is how it went. She says, It's also fitting for a holiday that takes its spiritual and emotional power from the birth of a child. For Christians, of course, that child was their saviour. But you don't have to be devout to see hope personified in a newborn babe or to enjoy your own family. In a time of weakening religious faith, it's those aspects of Christmas that tug us most strongly and make it the Western world's 
most preeminent day. So here we have the uh, deconstruction and the destruction of Christmas. Here is a festival that gets its inspiration from the birth of a child. Now to some devout draconian creatures, uh, the Christmas story, it has the, the Christ is the saviour of, of a certain group of people. They call themselves Christians. But of course, you don't have to believe in this Christ to get a lot out of Christmas, is what she's saying. In a climate of this weakening faith where truth is really a relative thing, it's of, a per, it's of personal significance to some people, but you don't really have to believe it to have a good time with your family and to have a celebration of a holiday. I tell you, I was dismayed as I was watching some of these children's programs with my daughter about the way the Christmas story has been evacuated of its content. Now, it's this sort of mindless talk that we see in the popular media that comes across our televisions that pervades the Canadian culture today. Christianity, on this basis, I have to tell you, is the greatest farce and the greatest hoax the world has ever seen. If this is all it is, and what sort of false hope actually do you derive from the birth of a child? Now you may think that's a rather strong statement, but wait a moment. If Christ is not who he claims to be, what sort of false hope are people getting from this birth? Because in such a case, if Christ is not who he claims to be, in this world, you just turn on the news, in, in this world of, of its endless rounds of strife and war and heartache and pain and disease and suffering, there is no ultimate hope, there is no ultimate meaning, there's no ultimate value, there's no ultimate purpose. Because you and I, if Christ is not who he claims to be, are cosmic orphans drifting through a chance-originating universe that doesn't mean anything at all. And what we're doing today is we're just pretending that the world has a meaning. What we're doing is we're just having Rick play the lovely piano and uh, having a silly sketch so that we can comfort ourselves and punctuate the dreariness. Well, that's what, many, that's what I was taught in college. That's what I was taught in school. That's what your children are being taught in science and in philosophy. And now it's affecting, of course, the way we view Christmas. And let's not forget that this Christmas, Africa perishes with AIDS. Many people are sifting through the rubble of earthquakes trying to find what's left of their belongings. Others are buried in mudslides. Others are trying to piece together their belongings in their homes that have been blown up by bombs. Most people are not tucked up watching the James Bond Christmas special this year in an Air Force heated home with three bedrooms with a big Christmas turkey. In fact, the birth of a child in many of these contexts isn't a sign of hope at all. It's another mouth to feed. How are we going to do it? See how the Western world deludes itself, how our culture it lives an illusion. If Christ is not who he claims to be, then what kind of hope is there in the birth of another child? I hope you're feeling suitably reflective at this point. I don't want to depress you on this happy celebration day, but I do want us to be realistic so that we can understand the happiness of the news that we have to tell others. William Blake, the English poet, struck on the right chord, I think, 
with respect to the birth of a child, as did the writer of Ecclesiastes when he wrote this. My mother groaned, my father wept, into the dangerous world I left. Helpless, naked, piping loud, like a fiend hid in a cloud. Struggling in my father's hands, striving against my swaddling bands, bound and weary I thought best to sulk upon my mother's breast. I put the question to you today that without Christ, without the Christ of Scripture, without the Christ of history, what hope is there in the world today that we really have to offer? What hope is there? If it's no more than a date that punctuates the year, what it does in fact commemorate, that we're celebrating today, that we're focusing on as believers, is this great moment in history, the central plank of the Christian faith, the virgin birth, that some today regard as a delusion. And the Bible responds to that, effectively by saying this, that it is not the Christians who are deluded, it is not those who put their faith in Christ that are deluded. It's the world that is deluded. And that they actually suppress the truth and unrighteousness, says Paul in Romans chapter 1. Others simply ignore the cradle. And they ignore the grave of Christ. They just don't bother to deny its claims. They're not interested in its claims. They don't see the relevance. They don't see what difference such a thing can make. They think that no event in history can have a unique significance. It's a form of paganism. To others, the Christmas event is essentially a myth. It's mythological. In the same way that, uh, I'm not seeing any uh, young children in the room here, in the same way that uh, Santa Claus is a reality to a child, in a mythological sense, people have the Christ child as true in a mythological sense. And what they say is, and this is the popular view today, let's be children, a child with the children this year. Because after all, we're all just grown-up children, aren't we? And let's make believe about this wonderful romantic story and the Christ and Santa. Let's bring a little light, life and laughter and light into our lives. And this is a very seductive denial of the cradle and the grave and the glory because it's the one that saturates our culture and inoculates people every year against the real meaning of Christmas. The journalist acknowledges in this article, I come back to it in Maclean's magazine, that she is disconcerted by the questions of her six-year-old child. She's disconcerted by them. She doesn't know how to deal with them. She records an ensuing conversation she had with her husband. She said this to her husband, shouldn't we convey some sense of spiritual purpose? I asked my husband. Well, she has faith in Santa Claus, he pointed out. And then to the casual onlooker, to the casual observer, there are those who do appear to be Christians because they seem to put such an importance upon the birth of this baby and the death of this man. But they deny the glory of Christ by denying that he ever rose from the grave. These people often lay great emphasis on the birth of Jesus. I hear them doing it all the time. They're the popular religious spokespersons that you'll generally hear on the television great importance on the birth of Christ. What a wonderful day when this incredible man was born. This first supreme pacifist. This great leader. This great moral teacher. And what a great death as well. The cross. An illustration of love in action. A kind of pure pacifism. The great first pacifist. There he is, Jesus. Sounds much more like the real thing, doesn't it? 
because actually it's a total delusion as well. Because in denying the resurrection, they deny the identity of Christ. They deny the identity of Christ. They really deny the cradle of Christ. And they deny that there's really any hope. This is a stronger dose of the Christmas vaccine because it reduces these great events to this. A cradle and a grave among many. A cradle and a grave. She sums it up like this. This is a rather embarrassing state of affairs, but it's also quite prevalent among secular Canadians. Over the year, I've checked in with a number of my friends and acquaintances. One explains Christmas along the lines of Martin Luther King Day in that his family honors Jesus as an exemplary social reformer. Elizabeth and I have no faith in God, he says, but we feel guilty about totally abandoning the intention of the event, so we tried to say that Jesus was a great teacher because he was the first pacifist, pacifist, sort of the first advocate for the underprivileged, but we take all the God stuff out. wonder what your friends and neighbors or school teachers say about Christmas or say about it with respect to them. He's in the Son of God. And because he is the writer of Hebrews, tells us was the creator and is the sustainer of the universe. He is the express image of the invisible God. The Apostle John could say, we have seen his glory. You see, that is why the Christmas cradle is a cause for joy and celebration. And I tell you this, that any other view of Christmas is built on a total delusion. But finally, there are those who have a certain level of sophistication in their view of the cradle. And they might say something along this line, and I've heard this also, particularly from the university students. Well, there are intelligent forces at work in the universe. And this is a chaotic universe. It's a chance-originating universe. Anything can happen. Maybe this was a virgin birth. Maybe there was a resurrection. But hey, my Uncle Bob might rise from the dead. There may be other virgin births. Who knows? These things can happen because this is a chaotic universe. And there are things that we don't fully understand. And once again, this, of course, is an outright denial of the identity of Jesus. And so it's all summed up well for us by Patricia in this article, in this single sentence. The most important, important thing, she says to her daughter, is what you believe inside yourself. In other words, never mind reality. doesn't matter what really happened, who Jesus really is. All that matters is what you subjectively feel and believe inside yourself. What a tragic mistake and what a travesty that children today should be taught such things. Now you might be thinking, well, why has this man been so negative? What kind of a Christian apologist is he? Uh, how many he's made? We've had a nice sketch. He's made us all feel miserable. Where's the Christmas spirit? Where's the Christmas cheer? Where's the glass of sherry and a game of give us a clue in all of this? I'm feeling miserable already. Well, let me, let's close by bringing some clarity out of all this Christmas confusion. The first thing we need to recognize is that we need much more than a cradle and a grave. We need much more than that. We've all had both of those, we will have both. We need the cradle and the grave of the Christ of Scripture because Christ's grave was swallowed up 
in victory. And that revealed the nature of this little babe that nestled, nestled against its mother. That brave reveals his true identity. You see, the reality of the Christmas message this morning, as it was last year, as it has been for the last 2,000 years, is that God has spoken and acted in real history. This is a history that's not alien to him, not unknown to him, but one that has been unfolding in accordance with his plan for history. And so the writer of Hebrews announces that activity in supremely, he says, in the coming of Christ. In the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets at various times, and he did it in various ways. But now, at last, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. Revelation of Christ so graphically portrayed here in Hebrews is presented to us as the beginning of all explanations. It's the foundation of truth. The foundation of all truth and the foundation of all reality has been made flesh. In fact, here is the answer to the philosopher's question. Why is there something and not nothing? To the child's question. Here is the answer to it. In Christ. As the Apostle John puts it, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the life of men. That's how the Apostle John begins his Gospel. And so the Scripture says to us, the fear of the Lord, reverence for God, is the beginning of wisdom and the message of Christmas is that Jesus is Lord. Here in the manger then lay not an abstraction of the philosophers but the Son, the Word, made flesh. Truth, light, life, put skin on. I don't want to be irreverent but that's what happened. The one through whom he created the world upholding the universe by the word of his power entered into his own creation. And do you know what this means? It means this. That all that is, including you and me, finds its unity of origin and meaning and purpose in Jesus Christ. The cradle of Christ changed everything. Everything. It redefined reality. If you accept the cradle of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have already accepted the redefinition of reality, the turning the right side up, actually, that Scripture does with respect to how we view the world. You see, the cradle, the light, the life revealed in the Christ at the cradle and in the resurrection of this same Christ, to accept that, to walk in that, is actually to participate in the truth. It's not to know certain truths. You see, you might be sat here this morning and think, well, I know about this story. And I can even accept that this story might be true. But you see, the invitation in Christ is to participate in the truth. And to walk in the truth this Christmas. Not just to accept propositional statements about Christ as being true, but to walk in the truth and the light and the forgiveness consistently in our own lives, in the lives of our family, in reconciliation in our relationships with our children, with our husbands, with our wives, 
with our parents. It's participation in the truth. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the Christmas event is not one that this world, that you or I are able to sit down and reinterpret in any way we see fit, which is exactly what happens today. They're all reinterpreting Christmas to invent a holiday that they want. And the children's programs pump it into the minds of our kids. And the schools, they don't let you sing carols, and so they pump it into the minds of our children. You can't reinterpret what God has pre-interpreted. Do you understand? God has pre-interpreted this event. That is, this is working out in God's plan for history. So to turn away from the light into a world of cradles and unconquered graves is to try and find meaning elsewhere. It's actually to plunge yourself into meaninglessness and into darkness. But the light of Christ, Scripture tells us, can enlighten everyone if we have the courage to walk out into it and to share it with others. What a fantastic message we have to share this Christmas. Not an illusion, not a myth, but one about God announcing this good news into history. We talk about good tidings of great joy for all people, but the angels are there. How can we understand what that good news is until we recognize our need for some good news? You see, the coming of the light presupposes that human beings are in darkness. Does it not? Why do we need good news? You see, most people don't think there's any bad news. Most people think that everything in this fallen world that they see around them is just normal. That's the way things are. That actually man maybe is on a road to improvement through education and anything that the Liberal government can come up with and we're just trying to renovate humanity and maybe NATO or maybe the EU or maybe some other transatlantic alliance or maybe even a wider alliance. You see, in the end, man will sort out his own problems. Maybe he can get stop the proliferation of nuclear weapons in the Middle East. Maybe he can do this. Maybe he can do that. He doesn't need any good news because there is no real bad news but you see the scripture says all oh, there is bad news we need we are in the dark we're in darkness oh the world thinks it's in the light but it's in darkness Jesus says <clears throat> and the announcement of the good news tells us that we need that activity of God in history that he's been speaking to us about what is the whole message of this book it's that we have fallen from relationship with God that we've fallen from our true estate that we have become alienated from God that the light of truth has disappeared from our eyes. That we walk in darkness. Jesus said it. This is not my message. Jesus said, men and women love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And Matthew announces the gospel by saying, those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. And on those in the shadow of death, light is born. That is the message of Scripture. That's the announcement of the Scriptures. It's a glorious message that we find in the Bible. 700 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah. 
a virgin shall conceive. We shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The writer of Hebrews tells us that God has spoken in his son to redeem humankind and restore us to God, and thereby restore us to one another. We've sung it in the cow this evening. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come. Offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. That's the message of Christmas. Christ's coming, a fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises. That God has acted. God with us. That is the reason for me you this year, to have an unspeakable gladness and an unspeakable joy this Christmas. And this is what will be on my heart on Christmas, uh, this period of time and on Christmas morning. This is what I'm going to be thinking about. This is what I'm going to be chewing on, as it were, why I can have a heart filled with gladness and joy and wonder and not hear what I hear from my neighbours, which is, oh, I hate this season, credit card debt, pressure, peer pressure feasting, being overweight, getting the family over we don't even like. And people dread this season. Because they've lost sight of what it actually is. But there is reason for joy and wonder because Christ's true glory is seen in the cradle because it's seen in his grave, in the empty tomb. The cradle and the cross and the grave from which he arose are all connected inextricably because Christ came to die to redeem humankind. You and me, our neighbours, our friends, our family. This is the key then. It is then that his cradle transforms our cradle and his grave transforms our grave. See, because it's not a cradle, another one, and another grave. His cradle transformed ours. What does Jesus say? Unless a man is born again, cannot see in heaven. Born to give them second birth. You see, your cradle can be transformed. My cradle can be transformed by Christ's cradle. Because he invites me to new birth, to spiritual birth. And then his grave can transform my grave. Because yes, I'm going to die should the Lord not come prior to my death. And death will be swallowed up in victory. Why? Because he is the firstborn from the dead. He has risen. And so my faith is not in vain. And so my grave is transformed because of his grave. My cradle, my new birth, my death, transformed by the cradle and the grave that will in the end be swallowed up in glory.
In fact, the Bible says, a weight of glory. You can't even measure because of Christmas. And so we have a choice this Christmas, each and every one of us. Scripture records it. Tells us that Christ came to his own and his own did not receive him. They should have recognized the light by which all things are seen, by which and by whom all things were made, but they didn't acknowledge him, and still many today do not acknowledge the Christ. And they reinterpret reality after their own imagination. The Christ in the scripture tells us that what we do with the cradle and the grave is crucial. And that choice, again, this Christmas is up to you. It's up to us as believers to be sharing this message and to be living consistently with integrity in the reality of it. And if you're not a believer here today or you're not sure, the invitation is to come and accept the message announced by angels. If we want to escape death and the grave, we dare not neglect the grave. Jesus says, I am the resurrection of the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall live. But if you neglect your cradle, our grave will be our end. We cannot escape it. What hope then is there outside of Jesus Christ? This Christmas, I ask you, most precious Christmas gift of all. What hope is there? So when you put the lights on your house this Christmas or put them on the tree. Remember, the light leads to life. And as you pull crackers at the Christmas table, as undoubtedly you will, and you pull out those pointed party hats, remember Christ the King who we born to us. And as you give and receive gifts this Christmas, remember the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ and remember that his cradle and his glorious grave and his glorious resurrection shows us the glory of the Lord Jesus and that the babe who was wrapped in swaddling clothes is the creator and redeemer of man. So don't be a spectator, I encourage you this Christmas, but be one who participates in the truth and the reality of this marvellous announcement that you really do have real and true reason for celebration, for joy, or feasting, or family, or friends, because Jesus Christ is King. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.